0: about um, what God is looking for in terms from us. What what is he looking for? So we're going to look at this um, lesson that I taught about two or three years ago called The the Perfect Man. And it's really about looking for a mediator, a redeemer, and ultimately for sonship, a son of God. Ephesians 4.13 says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, the Bible isn't shy about telling us that God all through creation has been looking for someone to fill the gap. Uh, From the time that Adam fell, he's been looking for someone who could help mankind get back to where we were. He's been looking for the perfect man. In Ezekiel 22:30, and this is a scripture that is probably very familiar to everyone, it says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, that should stand in the gap before me for the land. And I found that I should not destroy it, but I found none. All through biblical history, God has been looking for some good people. Amen. Uh, and he's found several people that have, have that have responded. And we're going to look at some of those tonight. Amen. He's been looking at someone who could be the mediator, who could stand in the gap, who could uh, be the go-between. And yet, in the end, he found no man that was able to do that. In fact, there's a very interesting scripture that I want to present to you tonight. It's in Isaiah 63, verse 5. In fact, this phrase is mentioned More than one time. It's mentioned several times in scripture. Isaiah 63, verse 5. It says, And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, and I put it in red, mine own arm brought salvation. I want you to to focus on that for a minute. It said, Mine own arm brought salvation unto me. Amen. Amen. That phrase, my own arm, is in the Bible several times, and we're going to come back to it uh, in a little bit because, of course, we know that it points to Jesus Christ. Amen. So we want to look at some of the people in the Bible that God found, and we want to see why they could not fill the role of the perfect man. Amen. We we probably will have more of discussion tonight. Uh, I won't run this uh, lesson very long because I wanted to get all of you to be involved. The first person after Adam that God found was Noah. The Bible says that Noah found grace. That means it was unmerited. It wasn't that he was perfect, but he found grace. He was enough of a believer. He was enough of a person that sought for God. And most of all, he was saved, not just by grace, but by what? Yes. But what did he have to do to be saved? obedience. He had to obey. When God said, build an ark, God showed him grace. But it shows you that grace is a two-way street. God can give us mercy, but we then have to respond to that mercy. If I tell you I got a million dollars in the bank in your name, it does you no good unless you do what? You have to go get it, right? So unless, unless you make use of God's grace, It is of none effect. Noah was saved not just by God's grace, that was God's part, but there was something for him to do. People want God to do everything. They want to do nothing. But there will always be some responsibility that we will have to take to make use of and avail ourselves of God's grace. But you know what happened after he did such a great thing. He built the ark. He preached. He saved his family. And then when he came out, you know what happened? He planted a vineyard, and then his flesh got the better of him. He got drunk. Drank a little too much. Noah was perfect in his human fleshly genes, but he still had some faults. His flesh got the better of him. We look at another person in the Bible. Let's look at uh, Job. He was perfect in his integrity, but he failed in his trust. You know when we fail in our trust is when we go through trials. And then we start asking that, why God? We fail to trust him that he will still take us through. You know, so Job was a person who served God, but you can see that after a while, the stuff got to him and he started to say, Lord, I need to speak to you now. I don't want to wait. I need, I need, I mean, me and you need to have a one-on-one God because I need you to do some explaining to me. Now, We may say we trust God, but if we really trust God, then we wouldn't demand of him to give us an answer until he's ready. So although Job was perfect in his integrity and really was a man of which there isn't much negative said, he still failed, we can see, in his trust. Because when you trust somebody, you don't call them up every two minutes. You coming now? You coming tomorrow? You know, when someone says, I'm coming, and if you you trust them, then you know they're going to come. So let's look at the next one, Abraham. Now he was perfect in his faith towards God. He absolutely believed God, but yet he did have a moment of doubt where he lied to the king about his wife and said she was just his sister. Now the truth was she was his half-sister, but he was trying to deceive. So we see that Abraham, as much as he was perfect in faith, still had something that was not quite right with him. Amen. You know what this gives me? gives me hope so far (laughs) because I got all of these failures here Uh, I don't think I get drunk but I I, 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 ice cream may be a different thing ice cream and some chocolate Cadbury's (laughs) my flesh may fail me amen perfect in faith towards God but lied to his fellow man about his wife okay what about his son Isaac now Isaac was very much a Christ like person he was not one to fight. He was he was trusting in God in that sense in that he just laid it back on God. But he was easily deceived. He was easily deceived. Jacob was able to deceive him, right? He was someone that, he, although he was a peacemaker, but he was easily deceived. So he didn't quite fit the bill of the perfect redeemer. Then what about Jacob? Well, you know, we all know what was wrong with Jacob. <laughs> perfect and cunning and he certainly had endurance. He, he worked 21 years for what he wanted. Most of us would have given up. We wouldn't have lasted two weeks. Sometimes you start that job and you say, mm-mm, this is not for me, right? He, he worked seven years, then another seven years, then 21 years. So you have to give it to Jacob that he was a person of endurance, but he was also very deceitful. And that's why God had to change his name. He couldn't stay as Jacob because that meant a deceiver, And then of course we have his son Joseph who is the epitome of someone who bears up under suffering and uh, under oppression. Perfect in enduring suffering. But here's the thing. He still died in Egypt. He had to give instructions. You're going to have to take my bones when you go. He did not die in the promised land. He was not able to return from the grave. Now you start to see some of the qualifications for a perfect man. You see we start with, with Noah who had to be perfect, but his flesh got the better of him. Job failed a little bit in his trust. Abraham it, it doubted a, in a couple instances that God could take him through without, you know, shading things a little bit. We have Isaac, who was too gullible. Jacob, of course, who was the opposite, who was nothing but deceit. And then Joseph, who, although he was a good person, could not come back from the grave. See, God was looking for somebody who could fit the bill the perfect man so let's go on to some of the other person people moses now he was a perfect the bible says there was not a person who was meeker or or more humble than moses he didn't want the job he would have given it away to his brother if he could have but god said no it's you he says but 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 i can't speak properly (laughs) he had excuses but god said no i choose you He was a humble man. He didn't want to be the leader of of that nation because he knew how they were. He knew what trouble it would be. But yet at the last moment, they provoked him so much that right at the end, after 40 years of of, of leading them, they provoked him and got him so mad that he disobeyed and broke one of God's greatest symbols of hitting the rock twice. Hitting the rock twice. So let's look at the men that, that, that God found. Then we have His successor, Joshua, he was faithful in in following Moses for 40 years. He was his right-hand man. But then one time, see, it only takes sometimes one time disobeying God. One time he trusted his own judgment. God had told him, don't trust any of these people in this land when when you go in there. You can't trust any of them. And he was deceived because they came and told him they were from far away. And they, had, they, they set him up perfectly. They had moldy bread and old wine and some old clothes. And before he checked with God, he said, okay, uh, you guys can be okay. And he got deceived. He trusted his own judgment. So he failed the test of being that perfect man that God wanted. Then we have Samson, perfect in physical strength, perfect in physical strength. In fact, his very name means like the sun. But then he failed in keeping what God had given him, secret. You can't blab to the devil. Because he's looking for, to find your secret. He's looking to find a way to deceive you. He's looking to find where you, in lieth your strength. <laughs> Boy, I know he's got some of our numbers. <laughs> he, he's looking to see where does your strength... Why do you keep coming to church? Even when you go through all this suffering, why do you still believe? He's looking to wear you down. He's looking to find your weakness. He's looking for you to tell him what the secret of your strength is. All right, all right. Samson failed. But God was merciful. He, he, his hair regrew. So we see Samson wasn't the perfect man. Then we have Samuel who was called by God from a little child. And he was great at listening to God. Hear, Lord, thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord, thy servant with. But then he had this one blind spot that he did not look after his children. And they turned out to be a mess and started deceiving the people and, 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 and taking bribes. Isn't it strange we can have all these people and yet all of them had little, little flaws. Yet God still used them. God still used them. And then we have probably one of the greatest failures of all who was Saul. He looked every inch like a king. Head and shoulders above everyone. Was a warrior. Perfect in the attributes of kingship. But then he failed in pride and impatience. Ooh, it has got me there. I'm really impatient. When I want something done, I want it now. (laughs) You know, but there's something that the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord. Sometimes God has got something for you, but you have to learn to wait upon it. When we rush into things, I'm speaking to myself now. I always make a mistake and always regret it. And he could not wait on the prophet coming. He said, you know, the people are getting restless. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. And then he went and made a mistake and acted in the role that God had not called him. So we see that Saul was not the perfect person. He looked physically like a king. He had all the attributes of kingship. But there were some things that were still defective in his character. Then, of course, we come to one of the greatest of all. Anyone know who that is after Saul? David. David. Perfect, right? In, in his heart relationship. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. You can't almost get a better definition. But again, he then failed to control his flesh. The one time he stayed home and, and trusted in his own uh, thought. You know, I don't have to go to battle. Uh, Job, is, the army has got this. And then he, he, he went up onto his roof and you know the rest of the story. Can you see all these people that God called and how, how God used them? And yet still, each one of them, they were far from perfect. They were imperfect characters. That's why there is still hope for me and you. And then after David, here comes Solomon. Perfect in wisdom. Perfect in wisdom. God made him the wisest man the Bible says that ever lived. you think, okay, there's no way he can mess up. There's no way he can go wrong because God has made him superhuman wise. You know what that tells us? That human wisdom is still nothing. Human wisdom is still foolishness when compared to God because the Bible says he was the wisest person. Up. In fact, people came from far and wide just to hear his speeches, to hear his judgment. But when it came to it, He thought he could outsmart the devil through his own wisdom. He thought, you know what I'll do? I'll marry all these women of all these nations around me, and I really won't care about what they're doing, but we'll have peace. And I'll know better that their gods that they're worshiping are false gods. But I'm just going to do that, and it'll be okay. He thought he could outdeceive the devil. But of course, you know what? The Bible says after many years, they turned his heart. They turned his heart. Don't try and fight the devil by yourself. <laughs> Don't try and outsmart him. You see the people in this in this list here, all of them tried to do things one time, just one time sometimes, one time they tried to do things in their own strength. So we see that none of these people, and we could go on all the way through the Bible, all these characters, in fact, many of them the Bible speak as, speaks about in Hebrews as heroes of faith. Because they did believe But they still had little weaknesses, little things that the devil was able to use to get some victory over them. So let's look at the the qualities that God was looking for. When When we think of Noah, it was because he was perfect in his lineage. His line had been uncorrupted. When we think of Abraham, we think of the father of faith, perfect in faith. When we think of meekness, Isaac. When we think of endurance, Jacob, 21 years. When we think of Joseph, suffering, being, being thrown into prison and then uh, lied upon by, um, by Potiphar's wife, sold as a slave. When we think about Moses, we think of someone who was perfect in communion. He had a face-to-face, imagine that, face-to-face with God and still at the last minute he had someone provoke him. I told you this story one time when I was about three or four and my dad bet me I couldn't, couldn't keep quiet for an hour <laughs> and He won. I told you that story, right? I don't know. This this is streaming, so it doesn't probably doesn't sound good. I was watching him cook some food in the kitchen, and for some reason I blurted out, chicken neck. <laughs> I don't know why they, I saw him cutting up this. Then he looked at me and I go, Oh dear. <laughs> I was imperfect. I could not keep my mouth closed. Samuel was perfect in listening. Saul perfect in, in kingship, in the, in his kingship appearance, David perfect in heart. Solomon, perfect in wisdom. This is what God was looking for, but he could not find it in any one person. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. Yet God used these imperfect people. You know what this tells me? God can use us. Us. He can use us as long as we don't give up, as long as we turn over every part of ourselves to him. Psalms 14, 2 says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our best is still a failure if we compare ourselves with God. See, this is what Solomon's problem. His own smarts and uh, wisdom corrupted himself. Same thing happened to Satan, right? His own beauty, the Bible said, corrupted himself. He thought he was so brilliant, so spectacular, that he should be God. You know, you you can deceive yourself. That's the worst kind of deception. When you look in the mirror and think you're something. When you're nothing. You see... None of those people were righteous, but during their lifetimes, God gave them righteousness. It says about Abraham that God declared him righteous. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Blessed is the man, Romans 4, 8, whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now that sounds... Awesome, doesn't it? When we come to Christ, it's not because we are perfect. It's because He's perfect. Amen. Amen. It's because of what we just celebrated, His death and resurrection, that we can come to Him. In the Old Testament, if you look at all of the stipulations for a a priest, uh, probably a lot of us wouldn't, wouldn't make the cut. You had to be a physically perfect specimen. You couldn't have any defects, no pimples, no warts, no broken nose, no crooked back, they said. You had to be a perfect specimen even to come and act as a priest. And yet in the New Testament we see Jesus, and I've said this before, he said, this is my body that was what? Broken for you. Do you notice he was already mutilated before he was crucified. That would not have been an acceptable sacrifice in the Old Testament. The lamb that was brought out in the morning had to be perfect. The lamb that was brought out in the evening sacrifice had to be perfect. Jesus was showing now that you come as you are. He is the one that can beautify us. He is the one that gives us righteousness. Righteousness, it was given. It was not earned. You can't work for this. But yet, when you're in the kingdom, you are to work. But God is not looking at your work to do the, to do the finishing touches of salvation. He's looking at Calvary. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What what an awesome scripture. Let me read it again. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God has made us the righteousness of God. Think about that. When you talk about the righteousness of God, how perfect is that? How perfect is that? You're all looking at me strange. I want you to meditate upon the righteousness of God. Because he if you believe this scripture, he, it says that we might be made the righteousness of God. How? In Him. We can't do it on our own. Solomon thought he could be so smart. He could make all of these treaties with all these kingdoms around. Marry all these wives. Build them temples. And not personally go and worship in them and it'd be okay. He would skate by and he'd have peace. And he did have peace because of God's mercy. But you know what? He lacked God's blessing. And at the end of his life, he lost the, the vision of what God had given him. He said vanity of vanities, all his vanities. All he could see was the hopelessness. He says, the poor man and the rich man, they all seem to go the same place. He missed the one thing that Job still had hung on to despite his troubles he said yeah I might die but one day I'm going to see the risen Lord I'm going to see him for myself Solomon missed that so God has been looking for a man and a woman because he used some women in the Old Testament too he used Deborah, amen he used Miriam amen, she was not a perfect person but God used her amen, looking for a man Isaiah 9, 6 and so God had to put this on himself. This is a very famous scripture. We read it at Christmas. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, God was looking for a man that could fulfill all those attributes of which he could only find little pieces. He could only find a piece in Abraham of faith. He could only find a piece of endurance in Joseph. He could only find a piece of a pure heart in David. But he couldn't find it all together in one person. And so he was looking for the one person. Jesus, on the Mount of Olives, when he gave the Beatitudes, he he listed some attributes here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled these are some attributes that God wants us to have do you know that he wasn't just saying this this is some attributes we don't really want though because you know what happens to the meat they get run over (laughs) right the poor in spirit get ignored but this is what God has called us to if we want God's righteousness and God's blessing God is looking for someone he's looking for someone Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It took me a long, long time to really get to that point where I understood verse seven. Blessed are I used to be very judgmental. Up to maybe twenty-five years ago, I used to be very judgmental. Then, then the Lord showed me some things and said, "Do you want me to judge you like that?" No, Lord. I'm going to be merciful from now on. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? You want mercy? If you want to be a perfect person, you need to have, look at these attributes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember that phrase that I asked you to remember in Isaiah. Anyone remember it? Where the Lord said, because I can't find anyone, anything or anyone to fulfill. Anyone remember the phrase? The arm of the Lord. He said he was going to use his own arm to bring salvation. Now, the scripture is very clever. Because when we start to look at that phrase, it's in the Bible several times. And also we we see it. Uh, Mentioned as part of deliverance. Let's look at this. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Here's another scripture. And he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. Now, we're going to go to Isaiah 53, 1. And look, here's this word again. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let me tell you something. shall I tell you who the arm of the Lord is revealed? It's to us. Because we know his name. You see, people will read that and not understand who that is talking about. You know who that's talking about? Come on, someone say it. Let's shout it out. That's weak. Come on, who is that talking about? Amen. Do you understand that this is a revelation, what I'm reading to you? Many people tonight do not understand that the arm of the Lord is Jesus. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's revealed to you and it's revealed to me. Because it goes on in that same chapter. Chapter Isaiah 53 is the the pinnacle verse or sorry the pinnacle chapter in the Old Testament that talks about the suffering that Jesus went through. Let's read it. He is despised. And rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, yet he is still the arm of the Lord. This is the point. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Can you believe that? Can you say surely? Surely. Say it like you mean it. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken. And smitten of God and afflicted. See that whole chapter is about Jesus. And it starts off by explaining who the arm of the Lord is. Anytime you see that about the arm of the Lord. You now know it is speaking about Jesus. His arm brought salvation. There is no other salvation except through Jesus. He is despised and rejected a man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Crucifixion was supposed to be something of shame, something of of something terrible. They would strip the, the people naked. They would have beaten them bloody. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. This is how we become perfected. Not through our own wisdom, not through our own strength, not through uh, any other way except through Christ's death. For he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Now I could show you some more scriptures. I want to show you just one more scripture. Then we're going to try and bring this all together here. In Jeremiah thirty-two, seventeen. Ah, the Lord said, the Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Did you notice that? Who is the arm of of the Lord? Jesus. Remember now what it said in John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says, and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Do we believe that? I want to say something, but I'll have to wait. God did a miracle today. I'll tell you about it later. Nothing is too hard for you. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. You know, when Peter was in the boat and he saw Jesus on the water... You know what he asked him? Bid bid me come to you. And you know what I believe the Bible doesn't say, but I believe Jesus stretched out his hand. I believe Jesus stretched out his hand. When Jesus stretches out his hand to you, you are saved. You are delivered. With a strong hand, an outstretched arm, and with great terror. He made sure the Egyptians knew that they should have never messed with them people. He made sure that they learned never to go against Jehovah. With a strong hand, and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. I tell you, if you're a child of the king, you don't have to worry about people coming against you. They're the ones who need to be worried. They're the ones who need to be worried. Bible in Matthew 18 says, Jesus says, don't mess with one of my little ones. Don't you know? Aren't you aware that their guardian angels always behold the face of my father? Don't you know that? You you have nothing to be worried about if someone comes against you. The Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The trouble with us is we we lack faith. We lack trust. We start to panic. We start to uh, fail God in, 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 in denying what he has promised us. But with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You understand that God let... Pharaoh keep resisting him so that he could demonstrate his greatness and his power. Pharaoh didn't want to, so God said, okay, if that's the way way you're going to make it, we're going to make this the hard way. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. And if that's the way you're going, all right, I'm going to show you what I can do. Don't tempt God to show what he can do. Because with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he let the people of Israel come out of Egypt. So God then became man to enable us to reach this perfection. He used all these people who were not perfect and showed that there was nobody, no human being who met the full requirements. Each one had little pieces. Maybe if you could put them all together, then you'd have had Jesus. But by themselves, each one even had a physical strength, physical um, wisdom, and and, and and in in Saul's case, he looked like a king. But then he failed. So God had to come to reveal God's true character and nature because every one of them failed. Moses failed. Joshua failed. Solomon failed. David failed. Abraham failed. Name one that did not fail and you'll be hard pushed. We'll, We'll talk about that in a minute. And the reason that he came was to enable the restoration of the spirit covering because that's the only way we truly come back to be a son of God. And to create new sons of God, to restore dominion to the sons of God so that one day we'll be able to order the winds and the waves, you stay right there. I absolutely believe that because we will be given back the dominion that Adam lost. And then to be the perfect mediator until the redemption of the body. Right now, according to Hebrews 9, the Bible says that Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle. It says there to appear before God on our behalf. Amen. It's not that I'm perfect, but my day of atonement is still right here. I I have been declared perfect. There's nothing you can do about that. You know, in the legal system, they have this thing called double jeopardy. Once you've been tried for something, you can't be tried for it again. You need to tell Satan that he needs to learn up something here. Jesus already declared me innocent. You can't come back and accuse me again because the case has been dismissed. You see, not my perfection, but his perfection. Because as we've said so many times, when he said it is finished, it was truly finished. The Bible says when he comes back again, he is not coming back to deal with sin. Sin was dealt with 2,000 years ago to be the perfect mediator until we get the new bodies. See, the only thing we're waiting for now is the new body. As you get older, you know that. <laughs> as you get older, you know that those knee joints and hip joints and all them joints uh, don't work as they used to do. Uh, all we're waiting for now is the new body. You ever, you ever seen some pictures of some people you thought were always old and you saw some picture when they were in their 20s you go, wow, they were really something. <laughs> Amen. It catches up to you. But the Bible says in Romans, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. We're waiting now for what? The redemption of the body. That's the last piece of this puzzle that we're waiting for. And then it's going to happen. The Bible says that we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So God had to become man because he sought for all these men. And every one of them had a flaw. All of them had something that was not quite enough to be the mediator, the go between Moses, for many years, for 40, 39 years almost, was the go-between. He, he, Every time God was saying, you know, move out the way, Moses. I'm going to destroy these people. He said, please, God, don't do that. And he was the mediator. But there was one time they pushed him so far that he would have said, okay, go ahead, God, just have at them. Have at them. He got so mad that he struck the rock twice. Breaking the symbol that Jesus was only crucified once. And that's why God said, because of that, Moses, I can't have you go in to the promised land. And the last reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. Name me some works of the devil. Sickness? Yeah. Financial trouble? Yeah. Because Adam had no financial trouble, you know that. (laughs) He didn't have a mortgage. (laughs) He didn't, there was no financial trouble in the Garden of Eden. So I I put that as a work of the devil. Amen. Name some works of the devil because pride, lust, deception, lying, envy, jealousy. All right. All right. All of them. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. God's perfection. Then how, how is this perfection made known to us? How do we know this? It's in his actions. It's because as John 3.16 says what? God so loved the world that he gave. Sometimes we think we understand that. And sometimes it just seems like a verse, some words. But if we could meditate upon what that meant. My friend of mine told me he he just watched The Passion of the Christ. That movie, you know, because it was Easter. And he says he doesn't like watching it because it it brings back to him what Christ said went through. We we can only imagine and that movie kind of brings back a little bit. But God's perfection is revealed by His nature. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, Jesus had to come Because there was no man who could do this. There was no man who was utterly perfect in all of those attributes. And of course we see this all wrapped up and tied in a bow in the book of Revelation where John sees his vision and he sees one sitting on the throne and he has a book. And John starts to cry and weep. And it took me a few years before it came to me why he was weeping because I didn't understand why should he weep because this book couldn't be opened. But then the revelation, God gave me the revelation of what the book was and it's the book of life. And if it couldn't be opened, then there, meant there would be no reading of no names. And so John started to weep. Revelation 5.2 And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And again, what does it say? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book or even to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. To open the book and to loose the seals thereon. See, we know that that's the book because it says so in Revelation 13. It calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. And the Bible tells us that our name has got to be written in that book. Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice because you cast out demons. Don't rejoice because you raised the dead. But rather rejoice for your name. Say my name. It's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's why you should rejoice. Amen. And without him dying, without him dying, without him dying, John was weeping, but then he, what, what the Bible says, look, behold, and he turned and he saw, as it were, a lamb that had been slain. It's just what we celebrated. A lamb that had been slain, and he was found worthy to open the book. In Daniel chapter 12, The angel, the the, the voice, God says to Daniel, seal the book. Don't open it. It's got to be opened at the end. And someone had to be found worthy to open the book. You see, only someone who was sinless could be our redeemer. For it made him to be sin. I read this before. Who knew no sin that that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, you should talk talk to yourself about this one. I am the righteousness of God. Come on, let's say it. I am the righteousness of God. Now, the next step is to believe it. I am the righteousness of God. Devil, you can't talk to me any old how. I am the righteousness of God in Him. Because He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be. Now, is the Bible lying or is it telling the truth? If this scripture is true, you should get your happy face up. <laughs> that we may want the name the righteousness of God in them. The second thing, of course, that he came to do was, of course, to give us the covering spirit that enables us for sonship. John 16, he told his disciples, you know, they didn't want him to go bodily. But he said, I had to go so that the Holy Spirit could come. He had to die to release that Holy Spirit. I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, Luke twenty-three forty-six, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And thus saying, he gave up the ghost. See, and then they had to wait 50 days till Feast of Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to come. As a mighty rushing wind. Amen. The next feast we'll be celebrating this year. Will be Pentecost. In about uh, 50 days. Or less than that now. And the reason for this is. The ultimate reason for Jesus to come and die. Is so that we could come back to sonship. Hebrews 2.10. For it became him. For whom are all things. And by whom. Sorry. For whom are all things. but by, by whom are, are all things. In bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus fulfilled that perfection I've been talking about through his death. He came for that reason. He said, for this cause came I into the world. And then John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's what we're doing right now. We're in the journey becoming. And one day when we get that last Transformation when, when that body gets changed in the twinkling of an eye. And the Bible says that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, even to them that believe on his name. And then when we get that sonship and that perfection is fulfilled, we will receive back the dominion. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And this is the scripture that tells it all. It says, Psalms one fifteen sixteen, The heavens, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. This is the inheritance that Satan stole. This is the dominion that he took away. This is what he came and, you know, it's like someone who broke into your house, stole all your stuff and then came back and tried to sell it to you. That's exactly what Satan has done. Broke into your house, took all your stuff, and came back a week later like he don't know who you are. And he says to Jesus, listen, I got a deal for you here. Come here, look at this. Look. Bow down, and I'll give you all this stuff back. Jesus said, no deal, you know what? I'm going to come and take it from you. I'm coming taking it from you. Satan talks like he, 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 he works with a fence, you know. He says, because it's all been delivered to me. Somebody broke into the house and he gave it to me. And now I'm trying to sell it to you back, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus said, no, no, no. Just give it about three years. I'm coming to get it back. You won't be able to stop me. The Bible said he led captivity, captive. And he made an open show of him. The Bible in Revelation said Babylon has fallen and become the stronghold of He cleared out hell of all the righteous dead. What's down there now is only spirits and people who who have never given their hearts to God. Amen. Amen. So we are going to get back our dominion because of God's perfection. And of course the last reason is to be our mediator. As I said, for this cause he is a mediator, Hebrews 9.15, of the new covenant that by means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 12 24 and I'm kind of rushing here and to Jesus the mediator the go-between of the new covenant and to this blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood just spoke judgment and revenge. Jesus' blood speaks mercy and grace because that's what I need. Amen. 1 <laughs> Timothy two five says, For there is one mediator, one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you could stand with me because we want to uh, go into our discussion phase. Amen. We're going to close the streaming part of this service. Amen. I hope you have been meditating on some of these words. We may not be Abraham, Isaac, or Joseph, but you know what? We have Jesus Christ. Amen. In Hebrews, it says that the the promise escaped them, God having reserved a better thing a better thing for us. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Let it find good soil. Let it encourage. Let it uplift, Lord God. Help us to stand upon your promises, Lord, as we come boldly to that throne of grace. Lord, we ask you right now, Lord, for your anointing and for these promises to be fully fulfilled in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name.